This is the Detection at Scale podcast, a new show designed to help security practitioners succeed at managing and responding to threats at a modern cloud scale. As the volume of data increases and the attack surface expands, it's never been more important to stay ahead of the curve. Each episode will feature interviews with leading security practitioners, thought leaders, and company founders who are building the next generation of security tools. I'm your host, Jack Naglieri, founder and CEO of Panther Labs. Now let's get into today's show. Hey, I'm here with Srinath, the head of cloud infrastructure security at Netflix, where he works on the security of Netflix's assets in the public clouds, builds strategies for detection, prevention, and response. Before Netflix, he spent more than 15 years building security solutions and leading teams at Google, Facebook, Snap, Lyft, and Mapbox. Srinath, welcome to the show. Hey, Jack. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, it's great to meet you. So Netflix has always been one of those companies that has intrigued me from the complexity of their infrastructure to just the scale that they operate at. I mean, you're serving video content all around the world at any time of the day, and it's got to result in having this like very sophisticated engineering team behind it. And I already know that that's true because I've worked with the Netflix team before. So when I think about the security of those environments, I think that's even more fascinating. So before we get into some of the things that you work on Netflix, I'd love to just hear about how you got started in security and how you ended up leading infrastructure security at Netflix. Yeah, it's a good intro question. Thanks for that. So I was not well, one of those kids in the basement with access to a computer, which I got a chance to tinker with and then getting into video games and then started writing programming, right? I went to undergrad for a bachelor's in computer science in India. And in my first year, I started learning programming languages, right? So and I started with C language. And in my first year, I got quite bored and, and started taking sophomore classes in first year and junior classes when I was in sophomore year. And very quickly, I learned C, C++, and Java. And then I realized programming languages are fairly static. And I wanted a career with a lifelong learning opportunities. And security struck me as one of those domains with lifelong learning opportunities. It's one of those evergreen fields, right? In my junior year, I started this forum called the Network Security Forum, which is like a voluntary organization where a bunch of folks are going to come together and just teach each other security concepts, which included like network security, system security, crypto concepts, right? We also used to deep dive in some of the latest industry incidents. A lot of them were buffer overflows at that time. Uh, <laughs> and then in my junior year, I started writing a few viruses and keyloggers for MS-DOS. This is early 2000s. So very quickly, I realized I want to combine two of my favorite things, like programming and security. And programming to solve security domain challenges was how I got like really narrowed in on that as a career choice. And after that, I followed up with a master's in computer science at North Carolina State University with a, with a thesis on statistical anomaly detection at that time, and then made my way to the information security engineering team at Google. And since then, as you said in the intro, I've led security teams at, at Facebook, Snapchat, Lyft, Mapbox, and now at Netflix. That's awesome. Thanks for that background. So how did you go from the world of programming and security engineering or security topics into infrastructure-specific security? Because that, that's a very concentrated focus, right? You have to deal with cloud infrastructure, and that's a very different world in general. So how did you get into this job? 
Yeah. <laughs> so I always considered myself as a security generalist, right? So anything that has badness, that has uh, abuse and fraud and detection challenges are involved, that's when I usually like applying software engineering approaches to solve them at scale. That seems to be a general theme across the past 15 to 17 years in my career so far. So latest, I think to answer your question specifically, it was at Snapchat when I started looking into, into the cloud. Oh, there is this cool thing called cloud and this has all interesting security challenges because cloud also provides a lot of constraints, right? You cannot just go willy-nilly roll out agents and turn on monitoring without keeping in mind what are some of the constraints that each of the cloud providers provide. So that required a bit of creative thinking to secure the footprint in the cloud. And that's when I thought, oh, there is this whole new area that I could be tapping into from a learning point of view. And then I started leading the data production team at Snapchat. And quickly, we were the team who are responsible for managing the Google Cloud and AWS organization, like the main account architecture and guardrails and, and things like that. That's how I got into the infrastructure side of things. And how long did it take you to learn and really get comfortable with something like AWS? <laughs> yeah, I still don't consider myself an expert. I like to think that I have a fantastic group of senior cloud security engineers that I take a problem to them and they're going to teach me of, hey, tell me all you know about this area. And they are very happy to grab a whiteboard and, and teach me about, about some of the concepts. So it was a constant curiosity, um, generally asking questions with folks. And also at Netflix, at Snapchat, and even outside in, in the, some of the private Slack workspaces I'm part of, just get a few minutes with them and then ask and learn and read and blog posts and podcasts like these, right? So those are all the ways at least to stay in touch with and learn what's going on in cloud security space. Your answer tells me that you're a great manager because you didn't say, oh, well, I try to just learn this and do this. You're like, no, no, no. I want to <laughs> hire a great team. I want to enable them. I want to learn from them. And I want to guide them in the right direction. So that's absolutely the right answer. <laughs> Thank you. I'm really curious about when you joined Netflix. So was there a team when you got there or did you build it from scratch? Yeah, so I did inherit a team. In fact, it's an interesting story about the history of this team. This team was previously called Security Operations. And this is actually the first InfoSec team at Netflix that Jason Chan, our VP of InfoSec, built from scratch. He was an IC back then, and then he started managing this team. So that is a team that is now rebranded as Cloud Infrastructure Security. And you can imagine being a team that is 10 plus years old, there is a lot of interesting advanced capabilities that we might have built over a period of time. And we also hold up a lot of tools and also some debt right in this entire space. And if you were to go back a little bit further, Netflix started in AWS Cloud since 2007, 2008. These were the early days of AWS itself. And some of our initial workloads were actually tied to the Amazon.com account. It was, it's that, that old to give you an idea. So that means we do have plenty of legacy and we need to be really thinking about creative approaches to solve security at security problems at scale. And I'm actually fortunate to be leading this team because it comes with interesting set of challenges. But at the same time, you got to be very thoughtful when you roll out capabilities and you cannot just bring an open source tool from out there or a vendor solution and then throw it in and just pray it would work. Yeah, that's absolutely true. It actually in a lot of ways reminds me of Yahoo when I was there because it's the same thing. <laughs> You have such a massive infrastructure that when you go to roll something out that might be some new hotness, you're like, oh yeah, I'm going to go deploy OS Query or something on you know, 50,000 machines. But you know, a subset of those are an older operating system that came from an acquisition or something like that, right? So it's like, you definitely have to get really good at infrastructure. And that's a, a very interesting skill set to learn. And in my opinion, you can't really learn it without 
having that environment to your disposal. So I think in a lot of ways, you're in a very unique position to really learn some very great skills that not a lot of other people have that opportunity to do. So you talked a little bit about tools and things that you're using to do infrastructure security. And I know that Netflix is really big on open source. So can you talk about some of the tools that you guys are using today and also contributing to? Yeah, yeah. So security tools are not our secret sauce, right? And we have some of the challenges that we face at Netflix that pretty much there is no risk to business by giving it away to the community. So I think the open source art has been in our DNA since early days of this team and also InfoSec in general. We have also folks outside my team also have released tools like Dispatch and others for instant response, right? And that has been the general trend that I'm seeing in InfoSec. Some of the recent examples are actually, let me tell you a little bit about some of the most popular tools that Netflix has open source, right? So we, we built an asset inventory and configuration management tool, Security Monkey, which is kind of was very popular. And we recently deprecated that because it was not scaling for our own needs. RepoKit is another one for right-sizing permissions in AWS. And also this team also has built tools like Lemur for certificate management. Very recently, we open sourced a couple of tools, ConsoleMe and Weep for AWS access management. This is essentially it brokers access to the cloud, both for humans and also for workloads. And it's uh, there's nothing stops people from taking it to multi-cloud if that's needed. But for us, most the majority of our footprint is in AWS and that's what we, we have focused on. Yeah, open source has been really great for the security community just historically, right? And I think a lot of the tools that you mentioned are so widely used and they really do help a lot of complex sort of infrastructures and environments that exist. Are you able to talk through a little bit more about ConsoleMe and and really why you guys built it? Yeah. So ConsoleMe is actually one of the first tools since I started taking on this team. And from since the early days, we wanted to be very thoughtful about putting out an end-to-end solution out there, as opposed to a single capability like RepoKit, for example. So ConsoleMe has UI components. It has a nice backend. It understands AWS IAM policies. It does role-based access control. It also takes care of things like auto-approval of requests. So it reduces burden on security teams. So it is mostly this all-in-one solution where pretty much security teams can deploy and configure policies so that usually your employees, DevOps engineers, and developers just play by the rules that we have set it up. And security team is not in the way of every access request trying to slow them down. So this also jives well with our freedom and responsibility culture at Netflix, where we want to set things up and then step out of the way with proper guardrails in place, and then just magic happens. Of course, we have auditability, and we want to make sure that some sensitive resources, there is a bit of friction, but that is very thoughtful. And those policies, we roll it out in an interesting way that, uh, that has served as well. It's a tool that we have developed for the past three years or so now, and there's a healthy community that's building around it right now. I love that you mentioned the freedom of culture and responsibility, or sorry, freedom and responsibility culture at Netflix. That's something that I admire a lot about Netflix, and we were chatting about the No Rules Rules book prior to hitting record today. So I was actually really curious about that. Like, Does that culture overall help you as a security team? Actually, it helps every Netflix employee, I would say, because it gives us a guideline for us to have conversations. It gives us a framework for us to approach people outside InfoSec and within InfoSec. And that essentially helps us tailor our tools that is in line with the culture. Because if we tend to, one of the principles that we have is context over control. And for example, if you build a tool where we essentially say, hey, go talk to the security team for doing X, go talk to the security team for doing Y, that's essentially a control, right? Instead, we can get them what they want 
but give them plenty of context and nudge them in the right direction that is going to give us secure by default as much as possible. And that is essentially the way that most of our tools are written. It's not perfect. Sometimes it people ignore and sometimes people kind of take the shortcut. But I think this is still better in preserving the culture and going in line because that's what has gotten Netflix to be so successful so far. And I think by having that context, you explain more of the why of the decision instead of it just being like, no, just go do this and kind of brushing it off because people tend to just like find a way around it or something, you know? Exactly. Exactly. That's right. Yeah. I think that culture is so interesting and I'd love to learn much more about it. I'm curious, going back to your team. So does your team have a mission statement? And if so, what is it? The mission statement for us, I mean, it's probably not succinctly written like you probably what you're looking for. It's basically secure cloud footprint for all of Netflix, right? So that means we probably have to use any kind of approaches, prevention, detection and response, or even compliance-driven, governance-driven, right? So it encompasses a lot of functionalities, but that explains the how. But the why we exist is because we would like to secure the AWS layer for Netflix. That's our mission. And when you think about getting the right people around you to really see that mission out, what are the skill sets that exist in your team? So I think you may have touched on some of them, but curious to hear like how the team is really comprised today. You might be surprised that there are a lot of those are non-technical skills, um, <laughs> right? Because I think technical skills have seen focus folks come in on the team and teach each other and they get really good at once they get all the exposure and the scale and the exposure to tools and, and all that. So some of the critical skill sets that I am a big fan of and then I've been very thoughtful in building those things on the team are things like empathy for customers is very important, right? Because especially you're dealing with engineers, you want to kind of try to not add friction, but at the same time, understand what they are going through before when they interact with the security team in a lot of ways. The second skill set I'm really big fan of is incremental mindset. Because we all know, right, it's like there's no such thing called perfect security. And security is one of those fields where we have to constantly keep taking that small baby steps towards that North Star, which or whatever that actually means. And that requires a lot of patience. And that also means people who come in and then they're just going to look, oh, I'm going to roll this tool and make this whole problem go away. That kind of an approach is going to just ruffle more feathers than what it's worth from a security benefit perspective, right? Another thing that I really like is pragmatism, all right? Being very pragmatic and real about what are the approaches we come up with, as opposed to this pie-in-the-sky kind of approaches that takes three, four years to roll out. That kind of thing I've seen at some other companies, great for them. But I do think that being grounded has been very, very important for us to have a huge impact at Netflix. Curiosity is another one that comes to my mind. Yeah. What about the technical skills? These are great for interacting, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so the technical skills are generally people who are passionate about cloud security space, or if they don't come in with those skills, they should be willing to learn. And that's the kind of thing that I really look for. And it could be any cloud. It doesn't have to be AWS specific. I've seen, I've had people on the team who came in with zero AWS knowledge and did very well and could be one cloud experience would be great because there's a lot of things that translate across clouds. So that is, that is good. Python programming, Golang a little bit would be great. And generally being like this big picture thinker, because when you want to roll out things, if you're just looking at that single capability that you want to roll out, but you want to kind of think about how does this fit in the broader business context? How does this fit into the broader InfoSec strategy around where we are going? And that is what I call it as big picture thinking. From a technical skill sets, I also think risk-based thinking is important, knowing, being able to quantify the probability of an attack that might happen at Netflix. 
or any other company, right? And then being able to chase that down with uh, with some of thoughtful approaches and at scale is what I would look for in interviews and and, and things like that. And uh, for those listening in, are you hiring? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, thanks for that question. I am hiring. I do have an open role, and we are actually hiring. In fact, maybe I'm boasting a little bit, but our team brand is so strong that I do get a lot of word of mouth referrals. As recent as two weeks ago, somebody in my network reached out with a great referral for somebody who is not in my network. And then that also happened a month ago. So it, it, that's why it's pretty much like you are recruiting your entire network to source for you. And I'm, I'm again, very fortunate to be in that place. Referrals are key. Trust. It's all about trust, right? It's mutual exactly. trust. Yeah. And when you're hiring people, that really goes such a long way. So cool. Now that we understand the skill sets of your team, the mission of your team, a little bit about Netflix, can you tell us a little bit about just your broad approach for infrastructure security? And where do you even start for securing such a massive infrastructure like Netflix? Yeah. So this is an interesting question because this is something that I've thought about from day one. Uh, I've been here. And I still think about, right? So it's not like we have like a full thought out approach for the next five years. This is what we're going to do uh, quarter over quarter, year over year. Because one of the things that security teams need to get really good at is being agile, right? Being able to adapt to new threats, being able to adapt to new risks that come, come on board. But there are certain guidelines and approaches that we use for determining what exactly we would like to work on. So we do this thing called teams planning session every in the start of every year. So we come together, determine what happened in the previous year, almost like a retro, and look at the broader industry. What are some of the attacks and threats that we have faced? Is there something that that affects cloud security? If it is, then let's that write that down and then determine the probability of them happening at Netflix. And if that were to happen, what capabilities we are currently missing? What are those gaps, right? And we also have constant, we have very good relationship with AWS. And we also talk to them pretty much on a weekly, monthly basis. We get access to their engineers and we brainstorm solutions with them as well. And all these serve as an ingredient to come up with the top five themes for the whole year. That serves as the guideline for us to determine what do we want to take on quarter over quarter. And I generally like encouraging collaboration within my team as opposed to having one person being the solo responsible for each tool or each capability. In that way, we kind of have collaboration going on and we essentially create that environment where people can learn from each other. This actually reminds me of one of my favorite quotes from Nelson Mandela. It actually goes like this. I never lose, I either win or I learn. Love that. So I do encourage calculator risk taking and people learning from failures. And that kind of has that magical recipe for people to, uh, to be successful. So to maybe answer your question, coming back to that, some of the themes that we have done in the past would be like risk-based thinking is a theme, right? Hey, we haven't done that much in the past years. So how about we double down on risk-based thinking in the cloud security space? That means anything we do, let's put a risk angle to it and then determine, is this impactful? Right. A lot of my job is about focusing or getting my team to focus as opposed to like taking on too much. And that also comes very glaringly in some of these conversations. And then when you're taking on work, are you working within your team or are you most of the time collaborating with other teams in Netflix? It's a mix of both, right? So thankfully, the inward and outward communications is a balance. Sometimes in the beginning or end of a quarter, we tend to collaborate more with outside folks. When I say outside, outside InfoSec. Let's say we want to roll out a capability in our CICD pipeline spinnaker, right? So then we will probably go to them and then say, hey, this is what we plan to roll out. This is the API we'd like to roll out. And this is kind of how we can 
output authorization and some of the things that happens in the CICD pipeline. And that is essentially how we jointly work with them in coming up with a goal and then the outcome and key results. And then we know when we are successful to stop at chipping away at that risk. And so it's a mix of both, I would say. But my job, particularly, I do spend a lot more time in meetings and outward so that I bring up plenty of context to my team and give them a lot of autonomy and, and with a lot of trust so that they just work on work on things. I basically help them under, arrive at the why and they figure out the how. Yep. I see you've been reading some Simon Sinek. <laughs> <laughs> it's really important. I mean, I think there's a lot of things that I've heard from you today, just in terms of the skill sets you even look for in your team. And you also likely coach your team too on like empathy, the growth mindset, be curious. Even in the quote you gave me, you know, I never lose, I either win or learn. And I think that's such a positive mindset to have, especially when you're really going up and doing something very challenging, like securing Netflix's infrastructure, which I know is massive. And I think that's the right mentality to have as a leader. I'm kind of curious, going a little bit deeper into you as a leader, what really motivates you to mentor and help others, both either in your team or outside of your team? So I registered being a people leader for a long time until like 2015, I would say 2014, 2015, when I took a break from work and went off traveling a little bit and some soul searching kind of a trip. During that, I actually realized that as an individual contributor, you are limited by the ideas and the time that you have on your hand. And as a people leader, you can essentially multiply a lot of those effects that you probably have in your head that you have learned from the past, not just by telling your folks what to do, but at least just providing an environment and guiding them in a way that you can they can arrive at the answer in a way that amplifies their style. So I really like the idea of putting the spotlight on other people and stepping away and then watch them succeed and then stay on the sidelines and clap for them, right? So that kind of, it was very clear once I got back from the break that I do want a more people management role, but I'm also close to technology because that's what I'm, I really enjoy. So it's it was like one of those things when I was telling you a little bit about how I got into security, right? Marrying programming with security. Now, fast forward 2015, I like marrying technical challenges with people challenges. And that is essentially what gets me going. I love hiring and I kind of like as leaders, one of our most important roles is to hire, develop and retain high performance teams. And spending a lot of time and energy in that is also gives me a lot of energy. Yeah. In a lot of ways, that transition from engineer to leader can be very bittersweet, especially if you're very like connected to technology and you're like, but I love building things. But I think the conclusion you arrived at is a very good one. And it can be really challenging to make that leap, right? It can be very nerve wracking to be like, okay, how am I going to lead others? How am I going to get them to do the things that I think should happen? And I love how you said, you know, you want to guide them to the answer that amplifies their style. I think that's so important because you're basically saying, I'm not going to force them to do it the way I would do it because that's not the point. That's micromanagement. I'm going to give them the tools and the knowledge for them to understand how it is they arrive at that conclusion while doing it in a manner that is unique to them. And I think that actually has an even more positive effect because oftentimes that conclusion is something you would have never thought of. So if you micromanage people, which you don't from how I hear you talk, you know, you don't really get the true benefit of having a team because you should never force your own style into others, right? It's all about like, what are you having your team do? Like you hired them to do a certain thing and you don't want to like cloud their style. So I love that way of describing it. I think that's so accurate. Absolutely. 
as we were chatting, I was thinking of this other question, which I think is quite interesting. Like, do you think the biggest challenge with infrastructure security is people or technology? <laughs> yeah, that's a tricky question because it really depends on the scenario. As, as you might say, like any tricky question, it depends on the answer, right? So I do think it's a combination of both, but I would say more people than technology. That's because I think a lot of people, both us as, as people securing our footprint in, in the cloud, our infrastructure security, right? And also the people who are consumers of the things that we build from us securing the environment is concerned. Both of them, there's a lot of people challenges that comes in together to kind of really, really care about, hey, I don't want that attack. I don't want to be on the front page of the New York Times, right? So that is essentially where we need to align on. And once that is aligned, we will figure out the details, we'll figure out the technical capabilities that that actually comes up with. So I would say if I were to put a number, I would say like 60, 40, <laughs> I would say 60 people for infrastructure. Yeah. Yeah. I like how you phrase that, you know, align with people, then think about technology. I think that's totally right. In a lot of cases, it's right when you're trying to work with others to get your own solution off the ground, right? It's like, if you as a security team are trying to convince someone like, hey, this tool is going to be really useful, you have to get that buy-in, right? That's just a natural thing. And you have to get them to trust that what you're saying is going to actually help, so, and not hinder that other team to do certain things. So, very interesting. What's been the biggest challenge just thematically in infrastructure security? I would say there are a lot of things that, if I look back two decades ago, right? So we infrastructure security challenges still existed back then, like RCs existed back then, buffer overflows existed back then, right? We tend to bring the same mindset to securing things in the cloud today, right? And again, we apply the same thing to containers. We apply the same thing to other new technologies that are emerging like Docker and others. And that kind of a thinking is going to only get us so far. And I do think sometimes it's better to go back to first principles and look at what exactly are we trying to do here from a capability perspective, right? So that essentially brings us back to the threats that we face and the risk we face, right? So is this threat real? Is a container compromise in our environment going to lead us to entire infrastructure compromise? Or do we have good primitives and isolation benefits that we already exist in our environment that essentially limits that blast radius, right? So that kind of a thinking is how we build some of the infrastructure security concepts early on, like two decades ago. And if you bring those first principles and apply to the new environment, you would probably come up with new innovative creative technologies or creative approaches that is going to help us get a lot farther. In some sense, Netflix has been very fortunate, right? Because we tend to foresee some of the problems industry might face and we put tools out there. And if you look at like ConsoleMe, for example, right? So it's, it's one of those access management tools. The problem existed for a long time since people have moved in the cloud. And I say long time, maybe five to six years, but nobody kind of put out a tool out there, which essentially helped solve the problem. Now why we put it out there, and I hear there are about six or seven startups coming up in that particular space. So that is almost like unlocking a different way of thinking that essentially is we actually take pride in ourselves and those contributions, for example. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And in a lot of ways, security teams and security practitioners listening and should look at companies like Netflix or Facebook or other big technology companies that are putting open source tooling out. Because oftentimes, like you said, they had to build it internally and found that it solved a need. And then they were like, hey, why don't we open source it and let others get the benefit? I think OS Query is a perfect example of that, right? Like out of Facebook. And then, you know, all of the other tools you mentioned as well, Security Monkey, I remember I've I've used in the past. ConsoleMe seems really, really interesting. And yeah, it's in a lot of ways very similar to my own background as well with StreamAlert and the Panther. It's the same thing. It's like we saw the challenge of 
log data and then we build an open source project and then I built a company around it. And that's what Panther is, right? So it's funny you mentioned like there's startups who are coming out and really helping with the delegation of access into AWS accounts and things like that. And yeah, it's it's really, really interesting space just overall. I mean, I think we're going to see it evolve quite a lot in the next 10 years as well. I mean, I'm curious, like, are you seeing certain evolution of like tools or, or techniques in the cloud security space that you want to bring up? Yeah. So I think you said it right uh, well when you gave me an example of Panther and Unstream Alert, right? So I do think so far, if I look at early part of the last decade, people used to, or attackers used to opportunistically go after companies with deep pockets, right? Because they had probably, I don't know, like better payouts, bug bounty programs and, and others, right? But as you see the security demands, as the security demands evolve over time, I feel like everybody is going to be a target. And they are just going to capitalize on anything and everything which are as low-hanging fruits as, as they can find. So in an environment like that, I think we need to be able to put capabilities like Stream Alert and OS Query and console me like capabilities in everybody's hands, right? So that they can care about least privilege. They can care about some of these reduction of blast radius kind of benefits by just deploying a solution and using some of the secure by default policies that ships with some of these tools. And in that way, you are just democratizing the whole process. And it's not like the only the Googles and the Facebooks who have like an army of engineers who have access to these capabilities. And that's why I love the innovation, especially in the last five to six years. So many interesting companies have come up working on so many interesting problems and open source in general has exploded, right? I actually keep a list of cloud security tools that I come across on a regular basis that could be interesting for my domain within security. And that list keeps growing. I think just yesterday I was looking at it. it it's like about 60 plus tools in cloud security alone. <laughs> and granted, some of them are just scripts here and there, but but some of them are like pretty much end-to-end solutions like ConsolMe. And that has been very, very interesting to watch. Yeah, it's definitely like the, the renaissance period of security tooling in the last like five years, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And one other thing I also want to quickly mention is the perimeter is, is expanding more and more as we go, right? Because there's a lot of vendor integrations, open source, cloud native integrations that are coming up. So as a result, I think having a good idea of your assets and being able to determine what's your attack surface like in real time is becoming almost like it's something that you cannot live without. And that is where a lot of what I call foundations, like security foundations, is the time needs to be spent in getting some of those capabilities off the ground and you cannot take them for granted. And some people say, okay, the foundations are boring. I want to go after the AI, ML, and and cool new things that I want to talk about or the companies are getting into these days. But I think basics can go a long way, especially at scale. Yeah, I wish I could put that on a billboard because (laughs) I agree with it so much. (laughs) Oftentimes, I always hear people asking us about like, well, do you do AI and ML? And I'm like, well, you know, the basic foundational problem here that we're solving is very, very hard at scale. And that's what we're really, really good at. And then in addition to doing other things. So yeah, absolutely agree with it. Sometimes you got to do the things that are that are boring and difficult, like log management and access management. But at the end of the day, those are things that have very, very impactful results in a security team, right? That's really right. helpful foundations to really build something amazing on top of. So absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. So one final question, and then we're out of here. So I'm really curious, just as a conclusion, to really succeed at infrastructure at scale, like what are three pieces of actionable advice that you'd give someone listening in today? So since it's Detection at Scale podcast, I think it will be maybe focus on the detection infrastructure. <laughs> so one actionable insight that I'm a big fan of is learning a lot 
that we can learn from in an incident. So every incident is a great learning experience, both within your own company and watching the industry, right? And just asking yourself, hey, can that happen here? If that were to happen, what is our story like? So just keeping the ear on the ground and watching and learning from every incident is one actionable insight that I would always give. In fact, I'm also a big fan of attending incident reviews of non-security incidents because there's a ton of things that you can actually learn from that part of the world as well and that could be applied to security in a way that is customized to your environment. So that would be one. Second thing is, I would say, as I was saying earlier, right, the foundations, like simple detection rules can go a long way. Go after AI, ML and stuff like that. Maybe a little later when you are ready to take on the noise, when you're ready to swim in an ocean of alerts as opposed to taking that on early. Third one I can think of would be consider risk-based prioritization whenever you can. It's very tempting to go out there, hey, this is a brand new detection program. I'm going to go out there and look at what else is out there. Oh, Rhino Labs has this 100 rules, so I'm going to just start coding them up and then say I can quickly boast that I have 100 detection rules and, and my program is mature. That kind of a temptation could be, I've seen that happen a couple of times, but I think if you do risk-based thinking, you essentially decide, oh, maybe. of those is not even applicable to my environment. So I'm not going to spend time on those. I'm going to go after these five things that are really key based on the crown jewels, based on the threats we face, based on the environment we operate. So that would be my third actionable insight. Those are awesome. Thank you so much, Srinath. Really, really appreciate meeting you. And uh, thank you so much for the time. Thanks, Jack. It was great. Thank you for listening to the Detection at Scale podcast brought to you by Panther Labs. For access to the latest episodes, please visit our website at www.runpanther.io forward slash podcast. And for those interested in running Panther, head to our website, runpanther.io, to sign up for a free trial. You'll get a dedicated instance with the ability to analyze your security logs in real time at any scale powered by detections as code and sending into a very robust security data lake. Our goal is to make detection and response easy, scalable, and fast for you, the practitioner. Thanks. See you again next time.